0: It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Friday, June 5, 2020. On today's episode, we have more TV and movie recommendations from Stephen Tomlinson, including Judy Garland, the Marx Brothers, and the library's new streaming service, which is called Canopy. We also have a musical moment with music librarian Farah Mohammed. She's going to be highlighting music to honor national zoos and aquariums library director janine west is here and she has some book reviews and recommendations for you including the alice network girls burn brighter everybody's sun and the white chrysanthemum i think that's how you pronounce it i hope that's how you pronounce it chrysanthemum on this date in history on june 5 1968 presidential candidate robert f kennedy was mortally wounded shortly after midnight at the ambassador hotel in los angeles He was pronounced dead in hospital at 1.44 a.m. Pacific time the next day, about 26 hours after he'd been shot. Robert Kennedy was just 42 years old. Before handing it over to Stephen, we'd like to share with you a brief speech from Robert Kennedy. Um, He gave this one at the City Club of Cleveland on April 5, 1968. This was the day after Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. And sadly, it was exactly two months before he, too, would be. Here is Robert Kennedy.
1: What has violence ever accomplished? What has it ever created? No martyr's cause has ever been stilled by an assassin's bullet. No wrongs have ever been righted by riots and civil disorders. A sniper is only a coward, not a hero. And an uncontrolled or uncontrollable mob is only the voice of madness, not the voice of the people. Among free men, said Abraham Lincoln, there can be no successful appeal from the ballot to the bullet. And those who take such appeal are sure to lose their case and pay the cost. Violence breeds violence, repression breeds retaliation, and only a cleansing of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. For there is another kind of violence, slower but just as deadly destructive as the shot or the bomb in the night. This is the violence of institutions, indifference, inaction, and decay. This is the violence that afflicts the poor, that poisons relations between men because their skin has different colors. This is the slow destruction of a child by hunger and schools without books and homes without heat in the winter. This is the breaking of a man's spirit by denying him the chance to stand as a father and as a man amongst other men. But we can perhaps remember, if only for a time, that those who live with us are our brothers and surely we can begin to work a little harder to bind up the wounds among us and to become in our hearts brothers and countrymen once again.
2: Hello everyone. Welcome to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian, Stephen Tomlinson, that's me and for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to provide some recommendations for what to watch and where to watch it in relation to movies, television, and internet streaming content. Today, I'll be discussing the Marx Brothers, Judy Garland, the Co-Saint Luke Public Library's new streaming service called Canopy, as well as a new podcast devoted to discussing Jewish-themed movies in addition to upcoming programming this week on television and more. But first, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. The hypnotically watchable 2019 movie with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, the longtime children's TV host, often considered one of the nicest people on TV. It sounds almost too perfect, Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, I mean, but of course, who better to play him than Tom Hanks, who's always been acclaimed for his character transformations, from the movies Big to Castaway to Saving Private Ryan and beyond. But Tom Hanks is precisely beloved, I think, because something about him always stays the same, no matter the movie. Something rooted in the fact that his screen persona is always an unerring force for good. But A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is no simple pain to childhood comforts. No, not at all. Nor is it an obvious biopic. In fact, it's not really a biopic at all. Instead, this is a deeply felt, real-life story of friendship and forgiveness, setting Mr. Rogers' irresistible charm against the immovable cynicism of a New York Magazine writer, played by Matthew Rhys, who's been sent to interview him. Drawing on Tom Genod's Real Life Esquire magazine article from 20 years ago about his experience with Rogers, the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood offers both real catharsis and the pleasure of a signature Tom Hanks performance. Technically perfect and imbued with the almost spiritual goodness that marks all of Hank's work, if that's not saying too much, this is truly a lovely movie. A lovely movie about kindness. That's kindness at a time when the virtue is in desperately short supply around the world. That's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, now streaming on Google Play, iTunes, and YouTube. Hey, does the news have you down? Well, not this news, that the boys are back again. Today, Friday, June 5th, on Turner Classic Movies, beginning at 8pm, 8pm tonight, with the recent restorations of four classic Marx Brothers movies, beginning with Monkey Business, and followed by Horse Feathers, Animal Crackers, and Duck Soup, the latter of which is surely, at least in my opinion, their very greatest film, and certainly one of the greatest comedies of all time. Lots of people enjoy the Marx Brothers and have for nearly 100 years, but I think their success is due to a few reasons, really. Witty scripts, with sharp and humorous dialogue, even though they often improvise their material, and most especially their memorable film personas, and the way that they poked fun at just about everybody and everything. Groucho was certainly the star of the Marx Brothers movies. His real name was Julius, and he said that he was nicknamed Groucho after a comic strip character. He had that marvelous walk, right? Remember? The enchanting style of talking, of course, over and under his thick cigar, the wildly arched eyebrows, and sported that delightfully thick mustache. Was it real, that mustache? Or did he paint it on? I don't know. You expect him to come up with some witty line of dialogue and, well, Groucho always did. He never failed. Chico, like Harpo, played second fiddle to Groucho, but had his own unique image with that too tight coat that he always wore and that crazy hat, of course, and forced accent. At least I think it was fake. And every few minutes, the need to say to someone, hey boss. Harpo remains arguably the most beloved among the brothers. He never talked on film, but apparently never shut up when the camera stopped rolling. Harpo could ford it through the films with his large honking horn, his oversized hat, his omnipresent smile, that endless running, and of course his crazy, crazy, frizzy hair. Zeppo was a little less memorable, the fourth brother, and there was a fifth brother, Gummo, who was in some films too. Zeppo usually played the straight man. He was the conventionally good looking brother. Um, the romantic one, the guy whose character helped the plot move from scene to scene, Who often set up the others for funny bits, was rarely himself the source of the humor. Although that's not always true. In any case, most of the best Marx Brothers movies were made in the 1930s. Um, when audiences were looking for lighthearted fare to take their minds off the terrible economic conditions. And what more can you say about them? I mean, really, they're for all time. They were funny then, they are funny now, and they will be funny a hundred years from now. The Marx Brothers are the very spirit of vaudeville, I think. Simply great, always funny, no matter how many times you've seen them before, especially, especially in these times. That's the recent restorations of four classic Marx Brothers movies playing today, Friday, June 5th, on on TCM, Turner Classic Movies, beginning at 8 p.m. with Monkey Business, followed by Horse Feathers, Animal Crackers, and Duck Soup. Also on Turner Classic Movies this week, but on Wednesday, June 10th, and celebrating the birthday of Judy Garland, it would be her 98th birthday, is a day's program of some of her best-loved movies, beginning at 10.15 a.m., with 1950s Summerstock, also featuring Gene Kelly, but almost certainly best remembered for her Get Happy song and dance number. Summerstock is followed by The Clock with Robert Walker. Uh, The Clock was one of Judy Garland's very rare non-singing films. It's a romantic drama. And I think it's fair to say one of the best loved Hollywood films of the World War II era. After the clock is her post-war MGM musical, The Harvey Girls, that's at 2 PM, followed by 1948's Easter Parade, which surely is one of the most upbeat of MGM musicals, uh, and which also features Fred Astaire. And note that that is the only time that the two ever starred together in Easter Parade. Oh yeah, and Ann Miller, the always wonderful Ann Miller is in it as well. After Easter Parade comes, I think my favorite Judy Garland film, a film directed by her one-time husband, Vincent Minnelli, and that's Meet Me in St. Louis at 6 p.m., a truly wonderful film, truly beautifully shot film in uh, Technicolor. Uh, And yes, easily, easily one of the greatest, most beautifully shot Hollywood musicals ever. And the one in which I think Judy Garland blossomed into a full-fledged movie star. The moment that she sings, Have Yourself a Merry Christmas, is surely one of the most heartbreaking moments. One of the most beautifully heartbreaking moments in the history of Hollywood film. That's a program of five Judy Garland movies to celebrate her birthday on Wednesday, June 10th, beginning at 10.15 a.m. in the morning on Turner Classic Movies. But hey, have you seen the recent biographical drama from 2019? The biographical drama entitled Judy, for which Rennie Zellweger won last year's Best Actress Oscar. You can find it now on both Amazon Prime and iTunes. And I think it's fair to say that it would be a cut above most biopics. And like um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, it doesn't really focus on the entirety of the character's life, in this case, of course, Judy Garland, but rather uh, one moment with some flashbacks to the past. The movie Judy mostly focuses upon the last turbulent period of Judy Garland's life when she was contracted to perform a series of shows, at a nightclub in London in 1968, just about a year before she died. By this stage in her career, the troubled Garland one was considered largely unreliable. And, um, she had certainly gained a reputation for failing to show up for some of her concerts, which is well-documented in this movie. She was also broke and effectively homeless and pining to achieve some kind of stability which is so moving, so touching. So um, she really wanted to get back her two children, which um, she had lost in a custody fight with her third husband, uh, Sidney Luft, played in the movie by Rufus Sewell. Now, the movie Judy doesn't really reveal any new facts about the entertainer. There's not much more new to be said about her. But certainly her psychological problems are clearly related in the film and clearly connected to her past treatment at MGM where she was contracted as a child star and exploited to the point of abuse. Um, I think that's certainly recognizable in 2020, although it would be less so back then. And To that abuse, the movie often flashes back. I mean, at MGM Garland's every move was monitored. She was only a child in, you know, in the 30s before she became that uh, full-fledged star. Uh, And as a child, she was only allowed to eat what she was told to eat. Uh, The studio even gave her pills to help her sleep. And of course, such treatment led to psychological issues later in her adult life, Uh, an adult life in which she had difficulty with her personal relationships, Uh, but not only that, also maintaining her career. And by 1950, in fact, with summer stock, which I mentioned earlier, um, MGM dropped her and she never made a movie with them again. Nevertheless, she clearly had a good heart, tried hard, though frequently failed. And that, of course, makes her a tremendously moving figure, both in reality and in this movie version of it. Zellweger certainly puts in a tour-de-force performance as Judy Garland. She refrains from impersonating her subject. And to be fair, she doesn't look very much like Judy Garland, but I think instead wisely focuses on portraying her from the inside. The actress's approach is highly personal here, even idiosyncratic somewhat. But she really does succeed in drawing out great sympathy for the distressed character of Garland. And her decision to sing the songs rather than mime them brings an added layer of authenticity to her performance. Zellweger's voice is passable, although she would be no match for the legendary Garland on full form. But Garland's voice had declined in her later years. So the imperfections in Zubweger's singing are, I think, really serving to render her portrayal even more authentic. In any case, the overall result is a touching drama, which is balanced enough to avoid out and out weepiness. Not that she won't drop a tear by the end, of course. That's the movie, Judy, available at both Amazon Prime and iTunes. Okay, on to some very exciting news. The Co-St. Luke Public Library has just acquired the ad-free video streaming service Canopy, which contains many thousands of movies and documentaries, and which you can find a link to on our website under the heading Digital Services. Or you can just download the app by going to your mobile device and uh, doing it that way either through the app store or Google Play. You can also go if you don't have a smartphone or a mobile device you just a desktop computer for example. You could just using your browser you can go to canopy.com and you can sign up there. Canopy by the way is spelled K A N O P Y. Canopy. The sign up process is, um, I think, quite easy. Really quite simple. You only need a valid email address for confirmation and the barcode number on the back of your library card. That is essential. You need your library card because this is only for members of the library. All films are free to you as a member of the library, but, of course, the library pays for the service, so the limit to the amount of films that you can watch each month is five and that number of five resets on the first of each month. Now Canopy is a streaming service designed for both public and academic libraries and it has some really great content, though it's mostly comprised of non-mainstream material, so you're not going to find the latest show from Netflix or HBO or the biggest of Hollywood blockbusters there. The educational material and documentaries of Canopy are its definite strength. But you'll also find a lot of great contemporary independent cinema, classic foreign films, and hundreds of Jewish-themed titles, which also make for a very strong selection. Uh, if you're a movie fan, please sign up. You won't regret it. There are lots of great stuff on Canopy. All borrows are for three days, um, 72 hours exactly, and return automatically at the end of that period. Now, you can't download titles to watch offline, so you can only stream them on your devices, laptop or desktop computer, as long as you have an internet connection. Enjoy. There's something on Canopy for everyone. That's Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y, the library's new All Movies and Documentaries streaming service. Okay, now, just winding up, I'd like to bring to your attention a couple of other things. At some point in the last few years, and as I'm sure you're aware, watching movies and television has gotten very complicated. Not just what to watch, but where to watch it. And it wasn't always like that, of course. In the distant past, you just watched whatever was being broadcast at that specific time on the only TV channels available. Eventually more TV channels were added. We called it cable. We still do. And later came recorded videotapes and even shiny discs called DVDs. Complicating matters a little bit. Now TV channels and DVDs still exist but the dominant, and in many cases, only way to watch things now is online. iTunes, Netflix, YouTube, Amazon Prime, Google, Disney Plus, Crave, the list of streaming services is seemingly endless. And so even for a librarian like me, a subject specialist in the area, it can get a little confusing. So to help rectify that, in addition to what I do here on the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcast Service, I want to tell you about a free app and website. Um, it's called Just Watch. J-U-S-T-W-A-T-C-H. Just Watch, all one word. Which makes all this easier for everyone. It's, um, it's like a TV guide for streaming services, including YouTube and the library's own Hoopla Digital and new. Canopy Film and Television Streaming Service. With so many of these streaming services in play, keeping up with which titles are available, where where to find them, and how much they might cost if they're not free, that all becomes something of a juggling act. Not to mention content vanishing from services like Netflix when the rights lapse. So certainly just because something is online one day doesn't necessarily mean it will be there the next day. While not completely perfect, Just Watch, both the app and website, turns out to be a quick and mostly accurate way to find where movies and TV show titles can be streamed legally, rented, or purchased online. That's the app and website Just Watch. And finally... Another recent discovery that I've made is of the AJFF in Conversation podcast. This is a bi-weekly podcast created by Sarah Glassberg and Brad Pilcher from the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, which engages listeners in both entertaining and illuminating discussions with guests around a variety of themes and topics rooted in Jewish cinema. The most recent episode from May 26th is about the notion of vengeance and how the concept has been handled in Jewish themed movies and TV, specifically exploring just how revenge plays out in the 2013 Israeli movie, Big Bad Wolves, Quentin Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious Bastards, Steven Spielberg's Munich and Amazon Prime's new original series Hunters. There are a couple of technical difficulties at the beginning of this episode, but please do persevere, as the discussion involving E.L. Perez, a professor of comparative literature at Indiana University, is especially stimulating. Other recent episodes of AJFF and in Conversation include, and I'm going to quote their titles here, Jewish Movies to Self-Isolate By, Matzo at the Movies, And Am I Allowed to Laugh at This? That's the AJFF In Conversation podcast, available wherever you get podcasts. But you can also stream episodes directly from the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival website, ajff.org forward slash In Conversation podcast. Anyway, that's all for now. You've been listening to Lockdown Viewing with Co-St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. I hope you've enjoyed this installment and will join me next Friday for more recommendations of what to watch and where to watch it. And also please join me on Thursday for a special episode entitled Cinema Under the Stars, a brief history of the drive-in movie theater. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at CoteStLuke.org, or by means of the library's Facebook page, or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message for me. That's all for now, folks. Bye-bye, and happy viewing.
3: Well, hello there, and welcome to another musical moment. This is Farah Mohammed, and today we celebrate our four-legged, winged, and finned friends. Did you know that June is National Zoos and Aquariums Month? National Zoos and Aquariums are celebrated every year in June to honor the important role zoos and aquariums have in conservation, education, recreation, and research. National Zoos and Aquariums Month is intended to promote and encourage more individuals to visit. Each year, millions of people visit zoos and aquariums as they are becoming increasingly popular and entertaining. More and more, zoos are building exhibits that closely resemble wildlife environments. And as for aquariums, well, some are just breathtakingly beautiful. It is so awe-inspiring to be watching marine life behind ceiling-to-floor glass walls meters below ground level. Furthermore, zoos and aquariums provide an array of engaging and interactive educational programs and resources which allow for many individuals to learn about science in an informal setting. One major benefit of visiting the zoo or aquarium, well, not only will the kids be happy, but research has shown that watching animals, even in videos and in pictures, can lift our moods and help us build resilience to stress in the long run. So, for today's playlist, we will hear songs that have some kind of connection to those other beings we share on this earth, with those that either live in the forest, swim in the sea, or fly in the sky. For my first selection, here is a short art song by Viennese composer Franz Schubert. Schubert was a composer of the late classical and early Romantic eras and wrote more than 600 secular vocal works, mainly leader or art songs. This one is called Die Forelle or The Trout. Composed in early 1817 for solo voice and piano, the song's lyrics were written from the perspective of an onlooker on a riverbank taking pleasure in watching the happy little fish swimming in the river. Soon, a fisherman arrives, and much to the onlooker's dismay, catches the trout. So here it is, The Trout by Franz Schubert, beautifully sung by Dietrich (laughs) Fischer-Diskau.
4: Mächlein hell, da schoss sie frohe ein. Die launische Forelle vorüber wie ein Pfeil. Ich stand an dem Gestal und sah im süßer Ruhe des muntern Fischleins Bade im klaren Mächlein zu, des muntern Fischleins Bade im klaren Mächlein zu. Fischer mit der Rute wohl an dem Ufer stand und saß mit kaltem Blute wie sich das Fischleine wand. So lang dem Wasser hellen, so dacht ich nicht gebricht, so fängt er die Forelle mit seiner Angel nicht, so fängt er die Forelle mit sein Ich ward dem Diebe die Zeit zu lang. Er macht das Bächlein tückisch krümel. Und ich es gedacht, so zuckte seine Ruten. Das Fischlein, das Fischlein zappelt dran. Und ich mit Regenblut sah die Betrogne an. Und ich mit Regenblut sah die Betrogne an.
3: The Tokens were an American male doo wop style vocal group that was formed in 1955 at Brooklyn's Abraham Lincoln High School. The group went on to have a few successes and appeared on the hit television show American Bandstand. Here is their 1961 hit, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Canadian Paul Anka wrote numerous hits over the years, sung by the best of the best in the business. At the tender age of 17, he experienced his first true love with his then-girlfriend, Annette Funicello. Funicello was an actress who was a very popular member of Disney's Mickey Mouse Club. She wasn't allowed to date until she turned 16. She and Anka got together when they were both 17. Adults dismissed their affair as puppy love, but to the couple, it felt strong and very real. Here is Paul Anka singing his smash hit, Puppy Love.
5: And they called it puppy love Oh, I guess they'll never know How a young heart really feels, and why I love her so. And they called it puppy love just because we we're, were seventeen. Tell them all. Please tell them it isn't fair to take away my only dream. Please Is the answer How can I Oh how can I tell them This is not a Help me please Is the answer up above How can I ever tell them This is not a puppy love
3: Porter, who was born on June 9th, 1891, and died on October 15th, 1964, was an American treasure. His compositions were noted for their witty, urbane lyrics, and many of his songs became standards. His use of language was so clever, and his tunes, wonderfully memorable. It's no wonder that his musical, Kiss Me Kate, won a Tony Award for Best Musical. In this song, he pretty much mentions all living species. So here it is. Let's do it. Let's fall in love.
6: When the little blue bird, who has never said a word, starts to sing spring, spring. When the little blue bell in the bottom of the dell starts to ring ding ding when the little blue clerk in the middle of his work starts a tune to the moon up above it is nature that's all simply telling us to fall in love and that's why birds do it be even educated fleas do it, let's do it, let's fall in love In Spain the best upper sets do it Lithuanians and let's do it, let's do it, let's fall in love The Dutch in all Amsterdam Do it Not to mention the Finns Folks in Siam Do it Think of Siamese twins Some Argentines Without means Do it People say in Boston Even beans do it Let's do it Let's sponges they say do it oysters down in Oyster Bay do it let's do it let's fall in love cold Cape Cod clams gainst their wish do it even lazy jellyfish do it let's do it let's fall in love electric heels i might add do it though it shocks them i know why ask if shad do it way to bring me shad row in shallow shoals english souls do it goldfish in the privacy of bowls do it let's do it Now here's
3: an iconic number that needs no introduction. Composed in 1963 by Henry Mancini, this instrumental composition was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score at the 37th Academy Awards Ceremonies. Here is the theme from the movie The Pink Panther, most definitely the epitome of cool. My final selection is a real feel-good number written by one of the pioneers of reggae music. Here is Jamaican singer, songwriter, and musician Bob Marley singing Three Little Birds. And what do I like best about this song? When he says, don't worry about a thing, cause every little thing is gonna be all right. I hope that you've enjoyed this menagerie of music today. And although we cannot visit the zoo or aquarium just yet, it's good to know that these institutions are designed to educate us, as well as to preserve and protect the animals, as we are all an integral part of this wonderful planet we call home. So happy listening. See you next time.
7: Bye for now. My name is Janine West, and I am the director of the Eleanor London Cote St. Luke Public Library. So the first book that I want to talk to you about is called Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. Diane Setterfield is the author of one of my favorite books of all time, The Thirteenth Tale. In her third novel, Once Upon a River, She spins a deeply mysterious, hypnotic, and fantastical gothic yarn. This is an historical novel that takes place during the 1860s. The novel opens on a dark night at an ancient inn called the Swan, located on the Thames River, where the regulars have gathered to swap stories, drink, and unwind. The evening is like any other night at the inn, until an injured stranger, walks in carrying what looks like a little doll. The stranger collapses and everyone soon learns that the doll is actually a little girl, a little girl who appears to be dead, yet who miraculously comes back to life. No one recognizes the man or the child. However, there are three families living nearby who have lost a child of their own and who, in their desperation to have their own child back, will see what they want to see in order to reclaim this one as their very own. Is she Amelia? Is she Anne? Or is she Alice? The girl never appears to recognize anyone, nor does she speak. Who does she rightfully belong to? The story explores each of these families' claims on the young girl the motivations and histories of their claims, and many of the townspeople who are drawn to the young girl and the mystery behind her apparent miracle. The Thames River is at the heart of the novel, and in a sense, it is a character unto itself. The power of storytelling runs throughout, with the ancient inn providing the stage for stories to be told. The river can actually be said to be a metaphor for a story, for the river, like a good story, meanders, winds, twists and turns, and ebbs and flows. Even the title is a play on words, substituting once upon a time, the traditional beginning to a fairy tale, with once upon a river. Women are the novel's strongest characters, and the most able problem solvers, and feminine themes such as childbirth and healing figure prominently. Even the wise and knowing pigs are female. There is a cast of likely suspects and villains, as well as the possibility and hope of long-lasting love. Photography is also a major theme, and one of the characters is based on the real-life photography. photographer Henry Taunt, who was best known for his photographs of the Thames River. This is a beautiful story. It's a genre blend, which means it's taking a little bit from different types of fiction, something of a historical mystery told like a fairy tale with elements of magical realism. The ending is especially satisfying as well as very fitting, and I have to read you the final sentences. I promise there will be no spoilers. And now, dear reader, the story is over. It is time for you to cross the bridge once more and return to the world you came from. This river, which is and is not the Thames, must continue flowing without you. You have haunted here long enough, and besides... Surely you have rivers of your own to attend to. What a great ending. I next would like to share with you um, the novel called A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza. A Place for Us is a quiet novel by an unknown 26-year-old writer. This is her first novel and it is absolutely gorgeous. This is a book about families, one that emphasizes the importance of family, relationships, forgiveness, and what it means to love someone wholly and without condition. It tells the story of an Indian American Muslim family gathered together to celebrate the eldest daughter Hadia's wedding. It is here on this momentous day that Amar, the youngest of the three siblings, reunites with his family for the first time in three years. In a narrative that spans decades, but without concern for chronology, the author retells crucial moments in the family's past as events are revisited. These events are told by the various family members, but as it happens in all families, Each interprets the event differently. There are many hurts and misunderstandings, some that lead to a life filled with regret. Throughout, we learn about the choices and betrayals that lead to Amar's estrangement. But we also learn what it means to be immigrant parents in America, trying to pass on a culture and traditions to one's children amid a, amid a secular culture designed to tempt children astray. The parents are Muslim who value tradition, the Quran, and duty above all else. On the other hand, the children all are different and they grow up, hadiyah, and as they grow up, Hadiah and Huda respect their parents, but in very different ways and Amar is the one who rebels. All three are trying to fit in a post 9-11 America, an America who mistrusts all Muslims. The title is especially intriguing. A place for us leads us to presume that this is an immigrant story about, one, about finding one's place in an alien culture. However, it is not until the final pages that the true meaning of the title become apparent, and it is astounding as it is much as it is poignant. This is indeed a beautiful book, and one that should be savored. Next, let me introduce you to Song of a Captive Bird by Jasmine Darsnik. Song of a Captive Bird is inspired by the life of Faroo Faroksad, a prominent Iranian woman poet and filmmaker who was born in 1935 and who died in 1967 at the young age of 32. Faroo, as she was known, led a fairly controversial life for her time, fiercely independent she wrote from a strong feminist perspective. Her poetry was considered to be so controversial that it remained banned in Iran for about 10 years after the revolution. In her early years, she explored her identity as a woman and as a lover in ways that shocked her contemporaries. Maturing as a poet, she went into still more dangerous areas criticizing all aspects of Iranian society and examining the role of women in general. She was drawn to filmmaking during the last years of her life and the topics that she took up, such as the treatment of lepers, again showed her critical temperament. In 1967, she swerved to avoid a vehicle approaching from the opposite direction and crashed into a wall. She was thrown from her car and died of the resulting injuries to her head. Farou's poems are both loved and hated. To some, she is a national celebrity. Her poems considered brilliant. To others, her poetry is too scandalous to be allowed, too much influenced by Western culture. The book explores her life and loves and takes its title from one of her poems, The Captive. It is beautifully written, mostly based on her life, although there are some fictional aspects which were used to enhance the storyline. It is told in the first person and reads like a memoir, a beautiful and haunting book that will stay with you for a long time. Gone So Long by Andre Dubis III is the final book, that I'd like to introduce you to. Many know André Dubas III as the author of The House of Sand and Fog. This new novel is his first novel in a decade, and like The House of Sand and Fog, is a masterpiece of thrilling tension and heartrending empathy. Few writers can enter their characters so completely or evoke their lives as viscerally as this author. In this hauntingly beautiful story of love and jealousy, a father who has killed his wife in a jealous rage tries to contact the daughter who he hasn't seen in years. Dubus unfolds the story in real time and flashbacks 40 years after that fateful day. The story is narrated by three people, daughter, father, and grandmother, Danny is the father who committed this horrific crime and has been out of prison for 25 years. He lives a solitary life and he is now dying and he wants to see his daughter before he goes. He painstakingly writes her a letter and then sets off on a road trip to find her. Susan is the daughter who was three when her mother died and is still trying to get a grip on her life which has been so traumatically influenced by her mother's murder. She is now a professor and is trying to write a book. She is as beautiful as her mother was but she is incapable of holding on to any lasting relationships. The maternal grandmother is Lois or Nanny, as Susan calls her. She raises Susan after her own daughter's death and her anger and bitterness has consumed her. She cannot forgive Danny and she sees Susan's contemplation of her father's dying request to meet as the ultimate betrayal. De eloquently captures the suffering that all these characters have endured. Raw emotion fills this novel. The book is about redemption and forgiveness and it asks some very difficult questions. Should one spend the rest of one's life atoning for a horrific act, a moment of madness? Should one forgive those who have shattered our lives and hurt us so deeply? And how do we forgive ourselves for actions that sometimes are quite out of our control? These are big questions, questions that the author tries to answer. So, for those of you who want to note these titles that I've been talking about, here they are again Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield, A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza, Song of a Captive Bird by Jasmine Darsnick, Gone So Long by Andre Dubas III. Now, as you are all aware, the library's physical building is closed. However, I do want to let you know that the virtual library is open. What do I mean by this? Well, if you have a smartphone, a tablet such as an iPad or a computer, you can read any one of these titles on that device. You need to be a library member, and you need to go to the library's website, csllibrary.org. There you will be able to find a link to Overdrive, the platform where you can find all of these titles in digital format. If you've never done this before, call the library at 514-485-6900 and leave us a message. One of our librarians will call you back and help you through all the steps. If you are not yet a member, we can help you with that too. However, if if you don't have access to a computer, smartphone or tablet, you can still call us and put these titles on reserve. When the library reopens, we will call you and you will be able to check out the book. I hope you have enjoyed the presentation. That is all for now. Until we meet again, I wish you well. Be safe. Be healthy. Thank you.
0: Well, that is today's episode of the Coat St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service. If you are listening at 2 p.m. on our phone line, we have another special item for you. Have a great day.